0: Please continue standing for the reading of God's <coughs> word. Today's text is Matthew seven fifteen through 29. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built the house on the sand And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, good morning, guys. Go ahead and have a seat. Good to see everybody um, this morning. Uh, We are going to finish up um, Matthew chapter 7 this morning, and uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 are commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're wrapping that up this morning, and um, you know, when when God started leading to uh, the the decision and and the place where we're at today, uh, I didn't plan uh, this sermon series because of where we were at. This was just kind of what we had planned at the end of last year, middle of last year actually, uh, to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And as things have unfolded and um, progressed, and and here we are this morning, uh, to be completely honest with you, I don't think that there is a better text that we could have spent uh, our last few weeks together going through. Uh, And specifically, I don't know that there's a better text for this morning um, for us to go to. Of course, you know, uh, there's always the the thought of the temptation just to... Share some things that um, some last things, maybe things that I wanted to say that we never got time to, or or whatever it is, or reinforce some of the things that we've we've learned. But in reality, it's always best to land on God's word, and uh, so I'm thankful for that this morning, and I'm encouraged by this text. And so, let me remind us um, where we've been uh, in our Sermon on the Mount series because I think it is so important for us as we go forward as 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 people, as God's people, um, that Jesus in Matthew chapter five. Um, opens up his message to his disciples uh, by declaring God's heart to bless his people. and I just want us to be reminded of that afresh uh, this morning, that, that God's heart for his people um, is not ill. It is not just that things would be hard for the sake of being hard because he's a mean dad, but that God's heart for his people is that they would be blessed, that they would live a life that, that receives not only just You know, the general blessing that we receive from working hard and getting a paycheck, but but the blessing of the divine hand of God, the 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 favorable, divine, and sovereign hand of God. And so then Jesus goes on in the in the rest of Matthew chapter five, and he he talks about how we're supposed to live as salt and light. And we looked at how Jesus' message to his disciples was that of distinction and how that a life that is blessed, God God wants to bless his people, but we know that God is perfect and holy and pure, and undefiled, and just, and righteous. So God will not put his divine hand of, of favor and blessing on any life, on any person. Right? Like, there is a way that, that as his people, once he has called us to be his own and we've responded in faith, there is a way to live that receives, that God keeps that hand of blessing, and, and God blesses his people for living. And that's what Jesus begins to talk about by being salt of the earth and the light of the earth, that as salt, we're to be different than the world. And as light, we're to tell people why we're different. You see, the, the light speaks to our saltiness. We could be salt. A lot of people are somewhat salt, but they're not salt and light. Because they're not, they're not declaring the glories of God as they do their good work uh, in the city. And then we looked at, at kind of a tough message and how Jesus says that unless your unless righteousness... Exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And this had to have had. I mean, again, if we're if we're if we're with Jesus on this mountainside, I know there's more than twelve of us here, but let's just say we're the twelve, right? Uh, And we're sitting there with Jesus, and he's talking directly to us. Now we know that there were multitudes gathered around, sitting around, hearing the same message, but Jesus wasn't talking to them. He was talking to to his twelve disciples. And he tells them that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So probably what happened, and is in that group of people, is just as there is in this room, there's there's two types of people. I, I love how we can always categorize the entire earth into two different types of people. But there's two types of people. There's either those who hear that and say, Okay, I know what to do. I'm good enough. I can do that. I can be better than the Pharisees. I see what they do. I know what they teach. I know how they're supposed to live. So now all I have to do is power myself, right, and do good so that I do more good than they do. Some people, when they hear that from Jesus, they probably got a little bit excited, thinking, I can do this. It's a little high. The bar's a little high. But I know me. I'm tough. I'm strong. I'm better than you. I can do it. And then the other half of the crowd or other portion of the crowd was probably just reeling because they're like, there is no way. I'm done. <laughs> right? Right? And and their probably initial inclination was just to get up from the circle right there and just leave because they know that they are not good at being good. Their inclination is not towards keeping rules and doing good so that people would see their self-righteousness, but their inclination is just completely the opposite in in rebellion. And, of course, we see this beautifully portrayed in Jesus' parable, uh, the prodigal prodigal son, the older brother, the younger brother. One brother was great at staying put and working hard. And the other brother wanted to leave and party. And that's kind of, it's going to be the same people that made up the 12 disciples, right? But Jesus tells them that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, and what's dangerous about those of us who are good at doing good, is we really think what Jesus is saying is all you have to do is be better than others. Like We really think that that's what he's saying. We really think that he is saying that our righteousness, in order to inherit the kingdom of Of God, the kingdom of heaven, to be a citizen of the king, we just have to do better than other people. And we skip over verse 17 of chapter 6 that says, I have come to fulfill the law. And so what we see is that Jesus is telling them that the only hope that you have of being, the only hope that you have of your righteousness exceeding that of the Pharisees is my righteousness being given to you. Because then he goes on and he begins to lay out what true righteousness is, right? Right? It's not just don't have an affair. It's don't lust. It's not just don't, don't murder. It's don't be angry. It's not just don't lie, but it's always do what you say you're going to do. And Jesus lays out a few other things. And it's like, the, like as we should be when we hear this, we should just be reeling because we know that there's no... The best person in the world, the goodest person the biggest goody-two-shoe in the world, right, cannot protect their heart from anger and hate. Therefore, they've committed murder. They cannot protect their heart from lust. Therefore, they've committed adultery. And so our hope, and this is what Jesus is getting at, is our hope is in the fact that Jesus did not come to do away with the prophecy, the law and the prophet, but he came to fulfill it. And then we saw that Jesus calls His people to a life of activity. That our life as citizens in God's kingdom is not to be passive, and it's not to be that as a spectator, but it's to be in living in activity, living to further the king, uh, the kingdom. Excuse me, li- living so that the kingdom would expand, because our lives would be such a pure reflection of the goodness of the King Himself. Remember, our lives aren't supposed to reflect the kingdom. They're supposed to reflect the king. And so our lives, we're to be active in reflecting the king in such a way that the kingdom is expanded because they see that this king is different than the other kings of the world. They see that this God is different than other gods of the world. Last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, we looked at how it's a message of Sovereignty. The king brings a message to his people of sovereignty and he tells them, he gives them such peace by telling them uh, not to lay up their treasures in heaven. He tells them that you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Because things as, as, as simple as birds of the air and flowers of the field are clothed and fed and, 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 and God cares about them. Yes, they're his creation, but we're his image bearers and how much more does God care about his own people who bear his image. And so it gives us peace and rest in God's sovereignty. And last week, we looked at how um, the the king also calls his people to mature. The king calls his people to grow in their understanding and their knowledge of who God is, of who the king is, of how the kingdom operates. We're called to mature in the way that we see trials and tribulations. We're called to mature in the way we respond to those who don't like us and who are against us. We're called to mature in the way that we view other people in light of our finances and our time and our hobbies. And this morning, we're going to end by looking at the King's message of warning. How Jesus closed. Remember, this is one message. Although we've looked at it over seven weeks, Jesus didn't give Jesus didn't give this message to disciples over seven weeks. Or even seven days. It was in one sitting. So this was one long sermon. Right? This was Jesus' one sermon to them that was succinct and, and together. And I told you that um, Jesus, being the, the, the greatest preacher of all, opens with a great opening with God's heart to bless. And now he's going to close with a warning. Actually, he's going to close with a few warnings. This morning, Jesus is going to warn us about the three types of counterfeits his people will encounter in life. There are three distinct counterfeits that we will encounter in life that will try and steal our affections from the king. That will battle our king and our uh, and, the, and our loyalty to our king. They'll fight it. There are three counterfeits that will say that that king is not good. This king is better. There are three counterfeits that will say, well, he he doesn't really care about you that much. This king or this God really cares about you. And so, of course, Jesus being the best preacher that has ever walked, ever spoke, ever preached, he warns his people. Because here's what Jesus knows. Jesus is God and he knows everything, right? Here's what God knows. He knows that not everyone and not everything that claims to be Christian actually is. We don't want to hear that. Right? We don't want to hear that. If, if, if you're into sports like I am, uh, you know, you're, you, my heart leaps. Well, when I was younger, I used to leap when I, would, when I would hear about a professional athlete who was a believer. Right? I was like, oh, that's so awesome. That's so good. But now that I'm a little bit older, I realize that sometimes I don't get so excited because sometimes it doesn't turn out to be what I think it means. And granted, they have a much more difficult life than I do. Uh, the temptations are far greater, but the reality is, guys, listen, and Jesus knows this, and this is exactly what Jesus says. I'm going to show you in this text this morning, as I've, I've, I've labored to do over the last four years, that Jesus says that, listen, not everyone and not everything that claims to be Christian actually is. And I think that this is so appropriate. One, obviously, we know that that that, that in order to be, to be a Christian, to, to be a citizen of the king, to to, to be saved, that there's a response is necessary. We know that, right? I hope we know that. Like, every person that has ever lived makes a decision about the claims of Christ. Is he king? Is he the Savior? And so what Jesus says is he's saying, like, listen, there, a decision has to be made, and we know that until we respond in faith, not just this lip service that yes, I believe that I, I mentally uh, and intellectually acknowledge the existence of God and His claim to be Christ and to save. But when we actually place the outcome and the and the um, what's the word I'm looking for? And when we actually place the outcome and the course of our lives solely in the hands of Christ Jesus as King, are we saved? That decision is necessary. And there are going to be three counterfeits that are going to rise up. There's three counterfeits that, listen, that we all face daily. We battle. And right now, as a group of people who are, are, who are given the, the, the joy, uh, don't be offended when I say that, but if we know that God is, if we believe that God is good, then he doesn't give us anything that is bad. So the joy that is set before us right now as a people is to go into the city of Bakersfield and find a church That We can call home a church that cherishes the gospel and a church that is serious about making disciples and that is a joy It's hard to see it maybe right now, but it is the joy that God has set before us And that's why it is so important for us to look at these three counterfeits this morning Because they speak directly to the situation that we're in So the first counterfeit that the king warns us about Is counterfeit leaders we covered these texts a little bit last week, but I want to cover them again this morning in today's message from a different angle. So if you look with me at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets. And so we, we, we don't fully understand that to the degree because, uh, you know, I don't stand up here and claim to be a prophet. And, and typically you won't go to a, a church, a Christian church where the person teaching is a prophet. They're considered a pastor or an elder. But, but the idea here that Jesus is teaching is the same because, because the, what the, the Israelites knew was God calling one man, setting him aside as a prophet or the mouthpiece of God to all the people. And so Jesus is telling them, beware of false prophets. And so for us, beware of false or counterfeit leaders who come to you in sheep's clothing. What does that mean? That means that they don't come to you directly saying Jesus isn't king. They don't come to us and directly say Jesus isn't the savior. They don't directly outright say that salvation doesn't come by faith alone, in Christ alone. They're wise. They're disguised. They have ulterior motives. They want us to recognize them as legitimate, God-called, God-ordained leaders... They don't want to be known as anti-God, right? They want you to recognize them and associate them with the king, with God, with Christ. But they're, sheep, they're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. So whereas a, as a, as a true leader will come to you as a sheep in sheep's clothing, a false leader comes to you as a wolf in sheep's clothing. And listen, Jesus right here says their intent. He says, uh, who come to you in uh, sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That word ravenous, the, it's where we get our word extortioners, right? So we know what extortion is. We know what somebody is who extorts. It's, it's an illegal use of position or influence for personal gain. So that is the intent of false leaders, of counterfeit leaders, is their purpose is to use their position or influence for personal gain. Or we could broaden that a little bit and say that their purpose is to use their influence and position for impure gain. Because they're not sheep. They don't care for the sheep. Listen, only sheep follow a shepherd. Wolves don't follow the shepherd. Jesus clearly announces himself as the good shepherd. But they're wolves. And, and, and why are they, why doesn't he just say they're extortioners? Because he wants you to know that the reason, they're not just, they're not just wolves and they're not just extortioners, but they're ravenous wolves because not only do they want to use their position or title for impure reasons, but the, the picture of wolves depicts that in, their intent is to lead to death and destruction. So they're going to use, false leaders use their position and their influence to lead us directly to death and destruction. Think of a wolf. Think of a, a natural wolf and its natural habitat. When we reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone, scientists knew exactly what they were going to do and exactly how many wolves we should reintroduce because they knew exactly the territory that they would cover and they knew the exact... Um, The exact um, 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 uh, effect that they would have on, 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 um, on the uh, on the uh, outdoors, on the wild—I can't think of the word. I'm sorry. Um, So they knew all of these things. So they introduced the wolves, and what happened? They didn't know anything. The wolves roamed way farther than they thought that they would roam. The wolves have had a much bigger effect on the habitat than they thought they would have. In fact, there has been documented sightings of wolves in Northern California. There's a pack of wolves that roam from the corner of Idaho, Oregon, and California in circles. And they thought that wolves would never come close to California. But wolves go where they want, right? They do what they want without second thought. They don't think about taking down an elk. A pack of wolves don't see it as immoral to take down an elk for food. That's what they do. Right? It's it's their natural way of life. And that's the picture that Jesus wants us to see about counterfeit leaders. Is that just as a wolf or a pack of wolves will take down an elk without second thought to the well-being of that elk, counterfeit leaders will do the same to sheep. Counterfeit leaders will do the same to sheep. Jesus goes on in this section and he says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree, listen, underline this, highlight it, memorize it. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You cannot learn about the true, triune, all-powerful, sovereign God from a counterfeit leader. Jesus says it. A bad tree cannot. It doesn't say it will not. It says it cannot. By nature, a counterfeit leader cannot teach you about the precepts of Scripture accurately or the depths of God's plan to redeem fallen creation through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, we don't like to hear this. Because our response to questionable leaders is always, well, I don't agree with this, but I really like this. And we always justify the things that we like. And we excuse the things that we don't like because we really like the things that we like. But Jesus clearly says that you cannot learn anything about who he is, about why he has come, about what he does to those who believe in him, how he transforms their nature, nor, listen to me, nor can you learn how you are to live for the king from a counterfeit leader. And Jesus tells us here that we're to inspect, that we're the ones... We're the ones who should examine the fruit of leaders' lives. The church, God's people, it is us who are the ones who are to examine the the leaders' lives and determine whether or not it is good fruit or bad fruit. That's a tall task, guys. You know what it means? It means that you can't just rely on somebody getting up here on Sunday and telling you what this Bible says. It means you need to read it. You need to buy commentaries. You need to read articles from trustworthy sources. You need to listen to trustworthy teachers and theologians and scholars about what it says. So that when you walk into a church and you're hearing somebody up there proclaiming the good news, or teaching out of the scriptures, that you can look at it and you can say, that's, that's not what the Bible says. That's wrong. Right? Hebrews... Chapter 13, verses 7 and 9 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. So where he says, the writer of Hebrews says, Don't be led away by strange teachings. But then he says it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. What he's saying is run to those who teach grace. Anything that is not grace is what? Strange. It's foreign. The king doesn't recognize a strange message. He recognizes grace. He brought grace. He teaches grace. He gives grace. You see, in Matthew chapter 7, our text, Jesus implicitly tells us the outcome of the false teacher's lives. You realize that? When he says that bad trees are torn down and all they're good for is fire, what he is doing is he is telling us that the counterfeit leaders who want to um, benefit their own income or benefit their own reputation or their own image or they're just control freaks and being a pastor is a way they can control or be in power, whatever it is, They will be torn down, and they will be cast into the fire for eternity. And in Hebrews, it tells us to examine the outcome of our leaders' lives and imitate their faith. I should hope that nobody in here hopes that the outcome of their life is to be cut down and thrown into the fire. But that is the outcome of these counterfeit leaders' lives. So it is important that we recognize the difference between pure leaders and counterfeit leaders. Now, not, there's not you're never going to find a pastor. You're never going to find... In fact, there was a great article on Desiring God last night that says, what happens when your preacher preaches a dud sermon? Right? He's not intending to be heretical. Like, he's, it's just some. It happens. Depending on where you're at, it might happen a lot. <laughs> but there's a difference between a... A group of men and are a man who is purely striving to bring glory to God and not himself. Who will sin along the way because we are still in process of sanctification. And a leader who is counterfeit, who is not real, who is a a wolf in sheep's clothing. There is a difference. And how do you tell that? Time, to be honest with you. You talk to people who know him. You talk to people who used to go there, who used to fellowship with him. And you just take time to get to know him. Listen, can I tell you that you should not land in a church where the leadership is not involved in the everyday rhythms of the church life? Do not land in a church where the pastors think that they don't have to go to the small groups because they're the ones who teach or whatever groups that church calls them. You know why? You know, the, the, it's a lot easier for a counterfeit leader to hide his bad fruit when he's not involved in the life of the church. That's why Paul is so emphatic. he teaches, when he writes to the churches where he was at, he's like, we lived among you. You saw us labor among you. You saw how we loved you. You saw how we cared. You saw how we combated sin. You saw all of these things because you came and listened to us once a week for an hour? No. But because we were among you. You see, R.C. Sproul, uh, in in an article, let me read this, says, as Dr. R.C. Sproul often says, the greatest threat... To God's people is the false prophet. And under the new covenant, we must guard against those who twist scripture. This can be hard because few of us like to face conflict or want to be involved in the disciplinary steps outlined to deal with false teachers. Compounding the problem is that being labeled a heretic is no longer a stigma. Televangelists boast of the Bucking Bucking Church tradition and relativists proudly claim to be orthodox heretics. G.K. Chesterton's words about the early 20th century church still apply today. Heresy not only only means no longer being wrong, it practically means being clear-headed and courageous. Orthodoxy, uh, Orthodoxy not only no longer means being right, it practically means being wrong. Still, the church's health requires all believers to be absolutely committed to orthodox Christianity as it has been handed down by the apostles even if others might hate us for it. You see, in our rebellious ways, leaders like to claim that we are just being relevant as they buck the traditions of the church. And we're not talking about traditions that don't matter. We're talking about the doctrinal teachings of the church that have been handed down from the apostles to the church forefathers, all the way down to us. It matters. And as we scatter within our city to new churches, We must rightly value the role of leaders. So, listen, the king's warning is that nothing good can come from counterfeit leaders. Very clearly, nothing good can come from counterfeit leaders. Be careful of who you listen to and who you read, be careful of who you share on Facebook, be careful of who you allow to speak deep spiritual truths into your life. Because nothing good can come from a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now the second warning that Jesus gives is of counterfeit gospels. So first he warns about counterfeit leaders, and now he warns about counterfeit gospels. Look at verse 21 through 23. Jesus goes on, and this is so frightening, I hope, That we are scared by this this morning and it causes us to look deep into our own hearts and to trace where we are at and where our faith lies. Because Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, what day? The day of judgment. The end times when Christ returns. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And like, if we had people that came in and we watched them do these things in the name of the Lord, we would probably be pretty impressed, wouldn't we? We would probably say, well, that guy's saved. (laughs) That, That girl's saved. Like, I want what they have. That's how our hearts tend to go, right? But Jesus says... In verse 23, and then I will declare to them, he will make known to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, what is the counterfeit gospel in this? There are many. In fact, I'm going to read for you in a moment from a tremendous book called Counterfeit Gospels written by Trevin Wax. But the counterfeit gospel at the heart of what Jesus is talking about this morning is the gospel of works. You see, on that day when Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead, if we say, Lord, Lord, here's what I did for you, he's going to declare to us, I never knew you. I don't know that we could come up with a list of things that we did that tops the examples that Jesus just gave. Casting out demons, that's pretty crazy, right? Prophesying, miracles. Aren't those all the things that that a lot of the church tells us we need to look for and long for to validate the ministry of somebody? Jesus says, I never knew you. Now, he's not saying that those works are wrong and sinful. What he's saying is that they did them for their own good. They did them. They believed. These people who did them believed fundamentally and foundationally that doing these things is what got God's acceptance of them and approval of them. There was no faith in the righteousness of Christ being imputed to them on the cross. They didn't need that. They didn't need Jesus living perfect. They didn't need Jesus dying and being raised again because they had these works. The ESV study Bible says that mighty works are not proof of the Father's will since they can come from sources other than God. So be careful of the counterfeit gospels that counterfeit leaders proclaim. Beware of the counterfeit gospels that immature Christians proclaim. And be active and lovingly and gently and gracefully walking alongside believers who are believing counterfeit gospels and restore them to the true gospel. See, on that day, the only thing that we can claim before Christ the King, the Savior, the Judge, is not rolling out our long list of the great things that we did for Him. The only thing that we can claim are the works that Christ has done for us. You lived. You died. You gave. You rose. You saved. You empowered. That's it. And oh, how beautiful the words will be for those who hear the opposite of get away from me. I never knew you. We can only imagine the peace And the overwhelming acceptance of job well done. I know you. You are mine. I don't know what exactly the words will be. But I can't wait to hear them. In the introduction to counterfeit gospels by Trevin Wax. He writes this. He says Christians and non-Christians are often drawn to counterfeit gospels. Even those of us who have walked with the Lord for many years. May be inclined to accept cheap imitations of the truth. Why? (laughs) Because they are easy. They cost us less, and they make us popular with people whose opinions matter to us. Yet a counterfeit gospel, listen, he, he tells us now the results of counterfeit gospels. Yet a counterfeit gospel will, leave, will always leave our souls impoverished at just the point we should be enriched. Counterfeits will leave our hearts and affections for God depleted just at just the time when they should be overflowing with passion to share the good news with others. Counterfeits are like Candy. They may be pleasant to the taste, but they leave us spiritually malnourished. You see, these people who before Jesus, when he's talking to us, at the time when they should have experienced the affection of God, more than ever before, they were left empty because God said, Get away, I don't know you. That's what Trevin's saying there in that. That's what Jesus is saying, more importantly, in Matthew chapter 7. You see, the king's warning here about counterfeit gospels. Listen, the king's warning about counterfeit gospels is that no salvation can come from counterfeit gospels. No salvation can come from counterfeit gospels because listen, the things that promise us relief—what in essence we don't—we don't process it this way. But the reason somebody goes to pornography or gossip or uh, you know um, uncontrolled spending or depression is because there is something in that that we are looking to to relieve us from the pressure or the pain or whatever right like that's what it is the disappointment maybe and so what we are saying to that credit card or what we are saying to that computer screen or or to that bottle or that pill what we are saying is save me we're screaming out save me make the pain go away help me to forget even if just for a little while. And so whereas counterfeit gospels do provide some temporary relief, the credit card bill still comes 28 days later. The bottle runs empty. Right? There's no lasting salvation. We're we're starving for nutrition when we believe counterfeit gospels. Now the third thing, the third and the final thing that the king's message warns us about is ultimately counterfeit gods. You see, a counterfeit leader who preaches a counterfeit gospel is ultimately pointing you to a counterfeit god. Look at verses 24 through 27 with me. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is giving us a parable here. He's teaching us through word pictures. The storm here represents the daily events of our lives. Right? The disappointments. The promises that don't come through. The hard work that we put in that doesn't end in the way that we think it should put in. The effort, maybe, that we put out for somebody and they don't respond in the way that we think they should respond. All of this, the storms of life. The horrible coworker, the bad boss, the difficult customer, the, the piling up bills to pay, the long list of things you would like to do but don't have time to do, the house, and this picture is us. It's people. That's us. You see, listen. The people didn't change in the in the situation. The storm didn't change in the situation. What changed was the foundation of support? What changed was where the faith that we would stand in the midst of the daily battles of life, that's what changed. Where's our faith? What do we stand on? Life happens. People sin against you. You sin. You get hurt. You're disappointed. The house, the storms don't change. But the foundation changes. The ESV talks about the sand in this, in this text here, like this, it describes it. This is, During the hot summer months, the sand around the Sea of Galilee was hard on the surface. But a wise builder knew that he needed to dig several feet below the surface to the bedrock in order to establish the foundation for his house. You see, doesn't understanding that in context bring so much more clarity? Like, when we think sand, everybody's thinking what? I'm thinking I'm getting a, a Pismo Rapid Hoagies and then going to the beach. That's what I'm thinking, right? Sand. But what, this is, what Jesus is saying is it was common then that during the summer the, the heat would dry out the sand and it would pack almost like clay. It would be hard. And so you would look at it and you would think this is a sure foundation. And can I tell you that the reason Jesus uses sand is because he wants us to know that counterfeit gods appear to be sure foundations. They say, they promise to say, you can trust, this. I'll come through, I'm faithful, you don't have to hold me up. Look at how hard I am. Look at how pleasurable I am. Look at the things I offer. This is the sand. But then what happens? Then the waters come. And the sand is no longer hard and compacted. And it washes away. And the house falls. And great is the fall. But those, Jesus says, who who dig down to the rock, to the sure foundation, that when the same trials of life come, their faith is not in a counterfeit God who can't provide security and sovereignty and control and power and unconditional acceptance in the midst of the storms and rejections of life. But he can, and so the house stands because it is built upon that God who promises unconditional acceptance for those who believe in Christ. That promises unconditional acceptance for those who believe in Christ even when our hearts wander. Tim Keller, one last one. Here's another good book for you. Anybody care to guess the name? Counterfeit Gods, that's right. Tim Keller writes about this in his introduction to the book Counterfeit Gods. After the global, look, huh, the global economic crisis began in, the mid, in mid-2008, there followed a tragic string of suicides of formerly wealthy and well-connected individuals. The acting chief financial officer of Freddie Mac, Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, hanged himself in his basement. The chief executive of Sheldon Good, a leading U.S. real estate auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. A French money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal and leading families and who lost $1.4 billion of his client's money in, the, in, the, in Madoff's Ponzi scheme, slit his wrists and died in his Madison Avenue office. A Danish senior executive with HSBC Bank hung himself in the wardrobe of his $720-a-night suite in London. When a Bear Stearns executive learned that he would not be hired by J.P. Morgan Chase, which had bought his collapsed firm, he took a drug overdose and leapt from the 29th floor. That was a 29th floor floor i think the third floor would have worked he went to the 29th floor of his office building a friend of this guy said this bear Stearns thing broke his spirit it was grimly reminiscent of the suicides in the wake of the 1929 stock market crash so what's tim keller getting at what is jesus getting at false gods cannot uphold what they promise and when our false gods fall, when we realize that they can't deliver on their promises, what happens? Great is our fall. Great is our fall. Why? Because we believed. Our heart was there. We bought into the promises. It looked so good. It looked so sure. But it wasn't. It wasn't counterfeit God's promise and even appear to provide the security needed to withstand the most dire storms of life. But they fail every time. And so the king's warning is that no security can come from counterfeit gods. No security can come from counterfeit gods. So this morning as I wrap up this message See, the Sermon on the Mount is is the beginning of Jesus' time with his disciples, right? The very beginning. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. In Matthew chapter 5, we see that Jesus sits down on a hillside to begin to teach them. The disciples do not yet know that the Sermon on the Mount is pointing to Jesus' own life. They don't know that when Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn that Jesus is telling them, here's what my life will look like. Here's the steps. That I... They, they don't know that. You see, we have the benefit on being, uh, being on this side of the cross. The disciples were close, but they weren't. So as Jesus is teaching them, they don't yet know that Jesus is on this epic journey to save humanity from their sin. They don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know the things that await them and, most importantly, Jesus. Now listen, Jesus clearly and emphatically warns his people of these sure results in following counterfeits. He warns. He warns that your life will be a mess if you follow counterfeit gods, right? He warns that you will not receive eternal life if you believe in counterfeit gospels, right? And he warns that you will be hurt and trampled if you follow counterfeit leaders. However, listen to me, however, hell, punishment, and discomfort should never be the driving factor in a commitment to follow and obey God. You see, it is alone the surpassing value and worth of Christ that should be the driving factor. Because what happens? We forget about the pain. Right, We forget about the difficult circumstances. Those things. We forget about hell. Or we believe those who say hell is not going to be that bad. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a party. And we, we begin to believe this lie that it's not really that bad. It doesn't matter. And so what happens if those are the, if those are the driving factors or motivating factors for us to in Christ, we're not going to follow him. But listen, here's what hell, punishment, and discomfort can do. They can act as a magnifying glass so that we can more clearly and better see the surpassing value and worth of Christ. They allow us to see the alternative. And they highlight, they illuminate, they don't highlight, they illuminate the value of following a pure leader, believing a pure gospel, and trusting in a pure God. So beloved, as we disperse into Bakersfield May we heed the King's warnings about trusting in counterfeits. May we press evermore into God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let me encourage us to not lose faith in God's goodness. To not give up on God's ability and power to save and His faithfulness to transform. May we not doubt God's sovereign rule over all. May we not forget God's good promise to build His church. May we not lose our purpose in this life to be disciple making disciples. So if you stand with me, we'll pray. This morning we're going to take communion. Go ahead and come up, guys. This morning we're going to take communion. We're going to do a little different than, than you might be used to here. What we're going to do is, uh, is uh, while the band plays during the first song and we sing songs of worship and adoration, I encourage those that are going to take communion, walk over to one side of the room, grab it, and come back. Together, in between the, uh, the the next two songs, I'll come back up and lead us in communion together. Okay, so don't, don't take it during the song. Um, but again, let me remind us what communion is. Communion is a time where we, as God's people, we remember that Christ gave his body and his blood, that we could be restored and forgiven. But it's also a time, listen, Jesus says... Do this and often in remembrance of me until I return. So there will be a time where we no longer take communion together. Praise God. So not only is a communion a time where we look back at the good things that God has done, but we also look forward at the good things that He will do at His return. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I know there's some kids in here, guys, parents. Please monitor your children in this. If you're not a believer, if your children are not believers, then then, then please don't take. And the reason we say that isn't to be mean and exclude, but it's because the Bible tells us that if you, if you do drink and take communion and you don't believe that it, it's actually going to be worse for you. Because you cannot take communion without remembering the truth of Jesus' body broken and His blood spilled for us. You can't separate it. Whether or not you acknowledge that, the reality is that's the truth. And so we would ask that you not take it for your own good right now. If you walked in this morning not believing and God's Spirit has drawn you into belief this morning, then what a better way to take your first communion than with us this morning. So I'll pray. Father, I pray that um, your Spirit, God, would encourage us this morning in the true and the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, who was God the Son and is God the Son, and who worked and came and and lives and exists in perfect unity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. May we be reminded of that, God. I pray this morning that you would do the good and kind and faithful work to show us areas, Lord, where we have followed counterfeit leaders, God, where we have believed counterfeit gospels, and where our faith has been in counterfeit gods. And I thank you, God, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus that we don't have to leave here feeling ashamed for all these things that we've done wrong. But we can again be renewed and bask in the value of Jesus, forgiving us of our sins. And we can actually walk out of here more encouraged, even in light of our sin, than we would have been had our sin not have been exposed to us. I pray, God, that you would protect our hearts. Protect our hearts, God, from the evil one who wants to destroy to kill the things that you have done in our hearts and our lives these last four years, God. Protect us, Lord, from the works of the devil. Encourage us, God. I pray, Lord, that we would see your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that we would all be able to find a good church quickly, Lord. That although it might be awkward and difficult, Lord, that, that your grace would be upon it. Lord, that you would help us to find the place you're calling us to and help us to walk in obedience God we give you glory and thanks for anything that was good that was done in these last four years for the people who heard the gospel God that is because of your goodness to us for the people who were matured God at, at the hearing of the gospel Lord we say thank you we know that maturity does not come through our hard work we know that maturity doesn't come and salvation doesn't come, Lord, through our words. But it comes through the power of your spirit. So, God, we say thank you. We thank you for the relationships that were established, Lord, that had this church not have been called into existence by you, those relationships would never have been formed. And we thank you for that, God. I thank you for the good work that you have done to bring us together as family and to serve one another well and to live as missionaries in our city. And so, God, ultimately our prayer this morning, God, is that our city would experience revival, that our city would come to know who Jesus is, that they would see him as a king and as Messiah, and that they would follow him that we would see Jesus as more valuable than anything else that is being offered to us, God, and we would in reckless abandon sell everything else that we own so that we could take hold of the great pearl of value that is Jesus Christ. Bind our wandering hearts to thee.